I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but a very, very good one. Mark Shapiro, the president and COO of Endeavor, which is the Hollywood Entertainment and Sports Colossus, which is involved in all sorts of stuff. Talent, representation through WME, event management, data collection, media rights consulting, content production. I'm sure you have read about the the uh, UFC and WWE combining to form this gigantic new sports and entertainment powerhouse company. Uh, the reality is that you really cannot be a sports fan today and not have Endeavor have um, touched you in some way. They're essentially just sort of uh, part of all our sports viewing lives in some manner. Mark Spiro is also a major player at ESPN for many years. He was there from 1993 to 2005, started as a production assistant, and was a big part of Sports Century, which really was one of the great things that ESPN uh, uh, did prior to 2000, and then moved up the uh, executive ranks, uh, was in the room when they acquired Monday Night Football and Wimbledon, NBA, et cetera, so had a real significant uh, vice president programming production position back then. So um, he's a guy, again, you know, the old Hamilton line, uh, be in the room when it happened. He's often in the room when things happen. And uh, we went through a gamut of things uh, in the sports business arena that I think you will find interesting. I won't tip any of them off so we can get quickly to Mark. Uh, about 40 minutes or so with Mark Shapiro coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. Now, I usually have talent, quote-unquote talent, on this podcast, but today I'm really excited about this guest. If you don't know what Endeavor is, it is the Hollywood Entertainment and Sports Colossus involved. It's going to take a little bit of time. Talent representation, event management, data collection, media rights consulting, content production, and seemingly everything short of plastics, basically. You've likely read about uh, the Ultimate Fighting Championship and World Wrestling Entertainment combining to form its new $21.4 billion sports and entertainment company that's majority owned by Endeavor Group Holdings. So Mark Shapiro is uh, one of the significant players in that deal. Uh, I will ask him a couple questions about this, but be forewarned because the deal is not complete yet. 
He's probably going to be very diplomatic on what he could say. Mark has always said that Endeavor is in the audience and engagement business, and that is true. And it's been a long time, but I'm pleased to be joined by Mark Shapiro. Mark, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Richard, congrats on the podcast, the following, and it's great to be back together with you. It's been a long time. It has been a long time since our ESPN days. All right, I'm not going to start with what you might expect me to start with, which is WWE, etc. I want to get a little um, into philosophy for you um, in my world. From your perspective, Mark, what makes someone a differentiator in sports? in sports media talent in 2023 on-air personalities we're talking about now yeah people who are front-facing you know it's interesting that's really evolved over time i mean when i started at espn what made you a standout was being a a dogged reporter and a hard-nosed journalist that's what it was the bob lees of the world outside the lines Jeremy Schapp came up the ranks. Uh, Tom Friend, who was with the New York Times, came over to ESPN for a little while. And, and you went after the print journalist sort of in the Dick Schapp vein, right? Reporter, journalist, writer, sometimes a critic. I mean, he was a theater critic. And that was the Mitch album. I mean, Mike Lupica, that's what it was. That's why I went after Kornheiser and, 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 and Mike Wolbon. Uh, Stephen A. Smith is an example. That's now evolved. And I think, you know, some of that was was during my time at ESPN when we really ushered in opinion, not yelling. I want to be clear about that. Opinion, perspective, context, point of view, informed opinion. And that opinion led to personality. And that was the Skip Bayless, the Stephen A. Smith and, and a long list from there. But quickly to be a standout McAfee, you had to be a personality. And, and, and that's what wins today. And that's frankly what gets paid today. Not that experts don't get paid, the Joe Bucks and Troy Aikmans of the world, and arguably their personalities as well. But the personalities that have opinions every day, in and out, show after show, podcast, radio, audio, on television, streaming, their own shows, on stage, that's really what breaks out these days. That's interesting. Um, who is... And if you, you certainly you can name William Morris Endeavor clients if you wish, and that's part of under your uh, under your umbrella. Who moves the needle in the sports media, in your opinion, from your perspective? And you can define move the needle however you wish. Well, look, there's that's a long list. I mean, that would take the whole podcast all by itself. But you know, I don't think there's a bigger sports talent or personality in the business these days, obviously than Stephen A. Smith. And I say obviously because not just because we do at WME Sports and Endeavor represent him. I say obviously because he's a standout. I mean, he's a machine. He's a factory. He's on every platform they have. He does more hours than anybody else. He's their go-to. When news breaks, I don't care if he's on vacation, which is rare. He's he's piping in, you know, with a with a with perspective. If you go to ESPN.com and you scroll through, you're on the app, his his sound bites are four or five above the fold, if you will, using a phrase from the past in the newspaper generation. And he is, you know, that that's what he is. Of course, there's other massive stars out there. Bill Simmons does so much more with the ringer than sports. He's he's huge. And Pat McAfee's 
going to be doing a new big deal, most likely with ESPN and ABC, and he's huge, you know, and on and on. You can go to show to show and you still get big names and big perspective and big personalities and some that aren't as outrageous. I mean, Kirk Herbstreit is as big as it gets still in college football, and now he's working on the NFL, but he you know, he plays in that space and he's defined by just that space. So different than the Stephen A. Smith that's that's more broad. One, I wanted to ask you one last thing about talent, then we'll move on to uh, WWE. And most of those folks I, I, I mentioned, we don't represent. And, and, and by the way, it's, you know, all's fair in love and war. And I think, you know, CAA Sports is as good as anybody in the business. And they're a big leader. And, you know, a lot of other companies, Wasserman, et cetera, do a great job of sports talent. There's this perspective, Mark, that um, in the current landscape, the, the, the people who are determined to be differentiators are going to get paid. Stephen A. Smith, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Tom Brady, Tony Romo, you know, name however you define differentiators. And then there's a thought that the people who were traditionally in the middle ESPN Sports Center anchors who are making a couple hundred thousand dollars. Like that sort of world is is going to be mitigated. So the people who are the top end talent still get paid, but the you know, the the, the maybe somebody used to have a 2 million dollar contract a year now becomes more of a 300 400,000 dollar player. Do you, is that that has been the sort of the conventional thinking in the landscape. Do you agree that that is the future heading forward where the top end gets paid whatever the top end gets paid and then everybody else I, I realize sort of saying it in the middle you know we're all dealing with first world problems here but those who are in the middle sort of are going to be at a different salary structure you know what here's what i would say let me go uh, take that and stretch it out a little more your your thesis is spot on there's 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 no question about that and my how things have changed right when i was running ESPN with George Bodenheimer and Steve Bornstein uh, before us, Dan Patrick and Keith Goldberman, right? I mean, they, they were the 11 o'clock sports center and they were getting the big, the big bucks, if you will. And they were churning out a lot of hours and a lot of shows. And then that became Stuart Scott and Rich Eisen, right? And they, they followed in there and Kenny Mayne and some folks obviously pulled a lot of hours as well, but that was, Hey, I'm working the most days, the most hours, the most volume, most personality. And we really wanted consistency because, Richard, all the research showed you was they were tuning in for, for those names because they were used to seeing them every night. And most importantly, on the wheel, what we call the wheel in the morning when we re-air the show hour after hour. Now, it is a grind, right? I think if you go into most focus groups and that there's no slam on any sports center anchors because there's so many good ones, but there's a lot of them. And there's not a lot of name recognition. And then you have an outlier like Scott Van Pelt. And, and that's why it's not completely black and white these days. Scott Van Pelt should be getting paid a lot of money. I don't know exactly what his deal is. Whatever it is, I guarantee he's underpaid. But he does an amazing show every night, primetime. His show gets pushed a lot because games go late. So he's working a graveyard shift. He's entertaining. He's a personality. He's got a point of view, terrific commentaries, great writer, but he's also a personality, right? I mean, that's what he is. And he gives them the consistency that they desire. So you can still get paid if you're in that vein. And that's a true unicorn. If not, yes, you're only going to get paid if you're a personality, if you're a standout, if you're willing to take a position and not just scream to scream or yell to yell or or just 
show you have opinions like the rest of us, but you're informed, you do the work, you grind it out. You have a you have a real ethic about the way you approach your job. You're informed. You nourish relationships, nurture relationships like Adam Schefter. So you have inside information, which then informs your opinion and allows you to stand out. All right. I understand you have to you're going to be judicious with some of your answers here. But I want to ask you about the WWE deal, which is obviously a massive deal in your world. It's expected to close in the second half of the year. Two businesses merge into a new separate public company. I think you've already announced it'll trade under the ticker TKO, which is pretty awesome, actually, whoever came up with that. My GC, my GC's wife came up with that. I want to be clear. You never know where a good idea where a good idea is gonna come from. So that's why you gotta canvas people and you have to listen as a leader. And as we're thinking about what the name's gonna be, my general counsel called and said, I got an idea for you from my wife. And it was like, yes, immediately. <laughs> there wasn't even a discussion. Like, can you clear that? Is it, you know, is that, is that IP cleared? Is that name cleared? Can we trade under that symbol? Because that is an absolute home run. So I appreciate uh, her doing that. And, and Seth Krause is what she's saying. Yeah. You want to shout out her name or does she want to be left uh, nameless on that? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, 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 uh, I'll, I'll take the fifth on that just in case. But Seth Krause is my GC. Smart. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, that's, yeah, that's a, get the center of the, the greatest bottle of wine. Cause that's, that's a home run. And we're going to name the company that there's some news for you. We're going to name the company TKO. Is that correct? Wow. That's correct. So the company, the, the public company will be TKO and it will trade under the ticker symbol TKO. Love that. All right. You will hold a dual role as president and COO of both uh, businesses. Why was, let me ask you a broad one. You'll be able to answer this. Why was the WWE the right property for Endeavor? You know, it's the playbook. We have the playbook. We wrote the playbook. You know, when we acquired the UFC years ago, uh, what, four or five years ago now, the playbook was we're going to, through IMG Media, who represents and distributes 150 sports properties into 160 countries every single year, plus planes, plus ships. I mean, they're the largest distributor of sports program in the world. They're going to be able to get WWE or UFC when we did this, into more territories, into more countries. And ultimately, if they pull an audience, higher rights fees. And if you just apply that across the rest of the businesses, that's the playbook from licensing to global partnerships, to social, to merchandise and consumer products, to deals that we do with government, local governments and municipalities when we bring the circus to town. All the ancillary program around that, from the weigh-ins to the music and food festivals we put on in some of these cities around the, the fight weekend. That that playbook is something that we we authored, we've gotten used to, we execute on a daily basis, we train our employees to run those traps, and we incentivize them when they score. And every single area I just mentioned, area of business has grown exponentially with the UFC. And we felt like, hell, there's a lot of synergies here. We can not only do this with the WWE and build upon what Vince McMahon and Nick Khan have been doing over there, but also probably a lot of cost synergies at the same time. So like, just to sort of play like one thing out, if I'm a WWE fan, could, would I expect, let's say more advertising, like on the rings? Could I expect the, uh, WWE superstars to walk into a ring with a robe that's sponsored by a major company? Like one of the things that obviously UFC has done incredible to me is like branding, like they're that you guys have been able to sort of brand that thing, um, 
first class. But the WWE, I think you know this, Mark, generally speaking, has been very clean. Like, that's sort of traditionally been their thing. And when you're clean, if nothing else, you do leave opportunities off the table. Look, we don't, we're not, we haven't finished this, this transaction. Uh, we're still running through the process. We're not making any decisions. We're not in control. So I'm not going to forecast what we may or may not do. I'll speak to you from a point of view of why we thought there was, it was so attractive beyond what I've already mentioned. And the answer is yes, I think all those are opportunities. Look, you want to be authentic. You want to be seamless. You want to be organic. You want to be true to your audience. So no, we're not going to put a brand on somebody's robe walking into the ring. Now, by the way, do UFC fighters wear Venom apparel and Project Rock shoes when they come into the octagon? Yes, they do. Could the WWE benefit from an apparel deal as such, a shoe deal as such? Absolutely. But we're not going to over-commercialize it. We're not going to saturate it to the point that we cheap it out. We trick it out and you turn off the fan base. So you got to figure out what's right in the ring, in the octagon. You got to figure out what's right with the arena, indoor, outdoor. You got to figure out what's right with the fighters and their participants. And and you got to walk before you run. Are you able to say whether um, the WWE has started negotiations with with its media rights incumbents? Look, they're they're NBC, uh, USA, Comcast deal, Peacock, et cetera, is up at the end of 24, as is the Fox SmackDown deal. Uh, The network deal for WWE Network still goes another couple of years. And uh, that's all I can tell you. You know, there, I mean, there's always conversations. Those two companies have been terrific partners, terrific incumbents. And by the way, in this world of streaming, right, and the transition to streaming, it is hard to pull big numbers still on linear television. And guess what? The WWE does that week in and week out. They're up on USA. They're the most popular, most viewed program on USA. And on Fox, SmackDown has been a massive hit for them. Je- and again, we'll see if you can talk about this. Generally speaking, how would you anticipate the demand for the WWE's media rights potentially beyond the incumbents? I think it's a, a tried and true property. It swings between scripted entertainment and sports. I mean, we're talking about it here, which is sports. Granted, you you know, you tend to go into broader entertainment and culture, but that's where we are. At the same time, you know, you look at the upfronts, you look at all the press about WWE, you look at where it airs, not on the weekends, on a weeknight prime time, on both NBC and Fox, and it's looked at it as scripted entertainment in a lot of circles. So I think that's very rare, right? I think it's very original. I think it's their scarcity for that kind of programming. It's in demand. It pulls numbers. The demos are incredible. Middle America loves the WWE. And when you put that whole storytelling, everything Triple H does, the handoff from from Vince McMahon, uh, and all the different, I guess, rings of business, they now find themselves in, right? You're reading about it. They're doing more licensing deals. They're they're signing up with more sponsors. They're becoming more and more mainstream. There's no denying their following. And the fact that they're live, and live means everything these days, I think that you're going to see a lot of demand across the globe for the WWE. My last one on this, and I'm going to ask you to do some writ large stuff, just uh, because you're an industry leader in this. Listen, you've been in the room, obviously, with Nikon. Um, to me, 
who obviously um, a very well-known CAA agent before he headed to the WWE, his ability to navigate um, the WWE and a family business is very, very impressive. Like, you, you know, that's, that's not by accident. He's been able to do what he's been able to do while navigating the McMahons. You've been in the room with this guy, obviously, in terms of business partners, in terms of negotiating. Uh, why has Nick been able to be successful at the WWE from your perspective? Well, look, I'm not, I don't work with Nick day in and day out at the WWE, so I'm not uh, best to talk about his uh, full range of, of attributes. I can just speak to my personal experience. I worked with Nick back when I was at ESPN, and Nick is a relationship guy. He takes, he, he spends a lot of time, honest time, dedicated time, real authentic time building relationships, maintaining relationships, sustaining relationships, and back and forth relationships. He's a what you see is what you get guy. I mean, he wears his emotions on his sleeves. He's very direct. You know where you stand. And I, I enjoyed all of my negotiations with him over the years at ESPN and was a fan of his at CAA as he was, it was, as he was building out that sports broadcast business. I mean, from scratch, you know, they've got some terrific guys over there, Kramer and Coonan, running the show now, disciples of Nick. But when he was there, he had, he had an incredible roster of talent. And, um, you know, I would tell you that that if he goes about his, his business at WWE in the same fashion and manner of which he went about his business at CAA, well, then sky's the limit. Yeah, I've always appreciated my deals with Matt Kramer, so shout out to him at CAA. All right, I want to get your... Um I want to get you some of your sort of top-down thoughts on this, Mark. The, um, you know, the the sort of thought is this is no genius take by me that the legacy companies that are in sports streaming eventually, like, there's got to either be consolidation, like all of them can't make it. There's probably at this point too many. The thought is that maybe the major players, whether it's Disney, ESPN Plus, or Peacock, whoever. This is independent of Netflix. Sort of will eventually sort of uh, be the winners of this, and maybe there'll be three or four groups that have all the sports programming. That's one way of thinking about it conventionally. I'd be curious how you see it. Like if you had to sort of think about it ten years from now, what's the streaming sports world look like for a for a consumer? Look, everybody's in it, and there's more and more choices. Despite any potential consolidation, it's it's where it's going. You know, you hear. Iger and, and Jimmy Vitaro talk about it all the time. It's just a matter of time until, you know, ESPN, ultimately, what you know as the linear telecast 24-7 goes over to streaming. It's just going to happen. It's just a question of when. And by the way, you don't want to kill the, the golden goose, which, of course, is the, the affiliate fees you're getting from the likes of Comcast and, and DirecTV. So you want to have your cake and eat it, too, and they're going to do that. So everybody's going to be in the game, and you have to be in the game. What's so amazing, Richard? is put aside the scripted fair. And obviously we major in that at WME and Netflix and what they're buying and Amazon, the way they're buying and, and Disney plus and Apple, but sports is such a standout. Look at the upfronts this week. You, you never see sports talked about as much as it is, right? Usually sports sells itself. Unless, unless you have the Super Bowl. it's an FYI, we've got it. Or you're Disney, you're bringing up ESPN and they get a section and you move on. Now it's, Front page headlines, sports, 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 live, 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 urgency, urgency all day. And that's what it is because they have the demos. 
that is where the youth flock to. It is what drives social. And so much of the audience wants to and has to see it live. So you can go watch your favorite show, the season of season two of the Bears coming out, and I can't wait, but I'm going to watch it on my time. I'm going to binge it the way I want to binge it for the most part. Sometimes it comes out week to week like succession. But for sports, you don't want to hear about it. It was, used to be called the water cooler, right? You want to you drive the conversation. And so everybody's going to have to be in the game. And that's why you see every single day we wake up, a new deal being done that's either going to be a simulcast on streaming or is going to be original to streaming, such as the NFL wildcard game, which, which got announced on Monday. I mean, one game, $110 million, but it's exclusive to Peacock. And that will drive subscribers and that will help on retention. Yeah, we'll see if it drives scribes. I'll be interested. To, I'm curious about that one. Let me tell you this, Richard. Let's just say that game is the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, I don't think it will, Mark. And I'm making it up for well, you. That's, well, that, yes, then it's a game changer, right? 100%. That, that's the bet. Yeah. <laughs> Put a team there that's going to make a difference. Okay. Put a following there that's going to make a difference, and you will see folks sign up. Whether or not they stay, that's then the challenge that Comcast has. But sometimes just getting it to the table, right, is is, is half the effort. Yeah, if the NFL takes care of them that way, I I, I rescind my thought. Are you? I heard you on uh, Matt Baloney's podcast uh, um, talk about Netflix, and you were very, very insistent that they're eventually going to get into sports. I thought that was interesting. Why? I don't think any of the streamers can deny it. Uh, you know, there was there was a day not too long ago where everybody said Amazon wasn't going to get in, and Apple wasn't going to get in, and Facebook had their problems when they put some baseball on there. If you remember that. And all the streamers are going to wait, wait, wait. Well, now they're all in it, except Netflix. And you know what? The model works for Netflix. They don't need to be in it just yet. But what I said on that podcast, and I'll tell you today, is there's no question back then they were kicking the tires. And if you're kicking the tires as hard as they were kicking it, it's just a matter of when. That when may still be a few years because their revenue model is so strong, right? Their profitability is so strong. Their growth record is so strong. Their portfolio of content is so strong. The returning seasons of their portfolio of content, like Stranger Things and now a prequel to Stranger Things, is so strong. So they don't need to go there just yet. But there's just there's no denying the way sports captures audience. And that's that seems to be growing. I mean, it's 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 a shocker to say that. It feels like an oxymoron, but you look at the NBA viewership. It's really been incredible. Now, granted, they've benefited from matchups, but so what? You live and die by matchups. You know, they get credit just like they get blame when they when they don't have it. It's been on fire. The Sacramento Golden State Series on fire. The Lakers Golden State Series on fire, right? These game sixes, game sevens, NHL doing so strong, you know, with teams like Seattle and Dallas is a bigger market, but nonetheless, a game seven, it pulls in big numbers. And that's just going to continue because the competition, the quality of content is so strong. Mark, what are your thoughts on how Amazon's approach sports rights? Um, you've seen what they've done with the NFL. They, um, you know, forget about internationally where they have a really, really great portfolio. But, you know, domestically, you so you've seen what they've done with the NFL. Um, you've seen what they've done with the WNBA. And then Apple made its decision essentially to um, take all the MLS inventory and they went a bit of a different strategy. Do you have thoughts on, maybe you think both can work, but uh, two of these mega digital powers have decided to approach sports in a very different way. Well, full disclosure on the MLS, one, I'm a part owner of the LAFC. 
And also IMG Media uh, produces all of the MLS games for Apple. So, so we do that. Having said that, I thought Don Garber and, and Gary did a phenomenal, phenomenal job on that deal. I mean, that's, you know, that that came out of nowhere. Nobody saw it coming. Now you have it all housed in one place. The app is incredible. Obviously, I think the production is is superb. The storytelling is great. And we'll see, you know, how that works for Apple and how that works for MLS and its growth and its fan bases. We'll see. Time will tell on that. Amazon, I think, did it exactly right. A little test, a little test here and there, a little golf, a little tennis. We'll play and do this internationally. We'll do this domestically. And then again, when nobody saw it coming, bust out with this monster Thursday night package, which also what nobody saw coming was how good the quality of the production was going to be right out of the gate. It's not like they grew into it right out of the gate. It crushed. And I think Kirk and Al have been a good team. They have a better schedule this next year. They did great on the studio personnel. They put around it. They launched some new stars. And I think they, you know, they got a lot of air underneath them. So I think it's been great for them, but you know, why are they in the business? They're in the business to drive prime subscribers. They're in the business to keep prime subscribers. Whether or not that's happening to the extent they want it to happen, that's you know inside their, their business walls. But I will tell you, and, and nobody will ever forget this, but when that first game came out and Amazon said they had more signups in a three-hour span than they've ever had before, that alone may have done it for them. Yeah, tells you the power of the NFL. All right, we're going to go another 10, 11 minutes on a number of different topics with you. Um, given the data um, parts of your business, um, you'll have a really, I think, good perspective on this. How do you see the nexus of sports gambling and media proceeding in the next couple of years? Again, I've heard you say this. Like The reality is we're going to get more sports. I'm sorry, we're going to get more states who eventually are going to open up to sports gambling. That creates more business. The international market already exists, and I think there are there are sports as well as uh, sports entertainment like the WWE that really wants to sort of get involved in that nexus. So how do you how do you see where things are going to be with sports gambling and the media as we head forward? Well, first of all, more and more it's about what you can do in game. I mean, that, that's, it, it is about props. It is about parlays. It is about in-game betting, which lends itself so well to sports like the UFC. But I don't think WWE, because it's scripted, that's ever going to be a growth strategy for them. Yes, you, you'll get some betting on who's going to win before the match, but in-game is, is going to be very hard to do. And you can point to everybody knowing about or, or, um, Auditing firms knowing about who's going to win the Oscars and you still bet on that. But that's even that is still a few states. It's not like the Oscars and the Golden Globes are cleared to, you know, to to bet on in every single state. So WWE is a bigger proposition. But more to your question. It's flourishing. It's sports betting is flourishing. And you have a whole generation of kids growing up with sports betting as a part of their sports viewing consumption. It's not like we're adding something new. They've only known sports hand in hand with sports betting. Now with that comes and needs to come more and more regulation and rules and policing and responsibility. And I, I think actually the athletic had a terrific piece this week on sports betting in the New York times as well on where it's all going and the worries and you know, the challenges and what 
where it's FanDuel and DraftKings are going to have to be restricted. And I know they're very focused on that because nobody wants to start an, you know, an epidemic here uh, problem uh, on, on sports gambling for young people. But the point is, we're in 33 states, Richard. Brazil is on the cusp of breaking, right? More and more casino games, six states you can bet online with games and casino games. So like this is coming, like it or not, like AI. This is a truck. It's coming. It's coming down heavy and hard and fast down the highway. So, you know, I think that there's with that creates just massive opportunity challenges, no doubt, especially with players. And you saw the investigation going on at Iowa State University and University of Iowa. Scary stuff there. And I would tell you as well, exactly what so many sports properties and commissioners forecasted would happen if we got into sports betting, which is why for years they didn't want to go here. But now it's here and we have to we have to figure out how to keep it in between the lines, shall we say. And, and the last thing I'd say on the sports betting is it's just going to increase viewership. More, more and more as these get intertwined, you're watching the game and you're betting side by side in game, which is where it's all about. Uh, it's, it's going to increase viewership because viewership is more people watching the games to the screen, wherever that might be, and or time spent viewing. And sports betting significantly impacts time spent viewing. All right. The the upcoming NBA rights negotiation should be really, really fascinating. We see the implosion of the RSN business, and it seems like uh, uh, leagues are going to try to, if they can, get back to more reach where your product will be on more over-the-air television. Um, ESPN is in the A position right now in terms of having that deal. They get the NBA Finals. Uh, WBD obviously has the B position, but it's also a great position given everything they get. Mark, it strikes me that the NBA has a ton of leverage. I think a ton of places are going to want that. Great demographics, uh, attracts young people. It's global. Um, I feel like they're in an incredible position of strength when it comes to that product. How do you see it? (laughs) Amen. You know, I I haven't, I haven't had any inside conversations with Adam or anybody else on this. So I'm just, I'm just speaking from the same point of view are, view you are as an observer being in the industry day in and day out. But the NBA, I mean, they are in pole position and then some. The playoffs they're having are out of this world. They have more stars than ever. Remember, when I was at ESPN, we came off of the Jordan era, right? And it was Shaq and Kobe. And if the Lakers didn't play on Christmas Day or the Lakers didn't make it to the NBA Finals, your ratings were down 30%. That's just a fact. I remember them playing you know, the Nets uh, in the finals, Jason Kidd. And, and we got, even that we got crushed because it was just a blowout and it was Shaq and Kobe and the other side, frankly, nobody really cared about. And that just, that was just perpetuating. It just continued down that path. Well, now you're sitting in a place where, you know, the best player in the league is arguably with Philadelphia. We represent him, Joel Embiid is the MVP. And the last two years, MVP, the Joker is in Denver. And you're not even talking about the, you know, LeBrons and Steph Curry's that we know are the, are the really driving the league. They have so many stars. They have so many personalities. They have so many young stars as well. And you got these incredible cities that are just blossoming, like, like Memphis, notwithstanding their current issues. But Morant is a massive star. And when he hits the NBA Finals, which he will one day, he'll go to another stratosphere. So viewership's great. Talk about them is great, no matter what platform you're on. 
And you're now walking in a negotiation where everybody wants a piece of them because they know not only will it drive audience, which they will then monetize, but more importantly, it will drive platform. It will drive engagement. It will drive subscriptions. And as things transition more and more to streaming, there's only you know, a handful of sports that have that kind of pull and sway. So Adam's sitting in a great place. And I would just add, he's got an amazing ownership group, if you think about it. They have always been, right, very entrepreneurial, digital savvy, Silicon Valley. You know, they're constantly looking at new ways, unorthodox ways to monetize and grow the NBA. So this deal is just going to be the latest example. Whether it gets bifurcated four or five ways, I'm not sure, but it's going to get split up. And to your point, Disney ESPN has to make sure they stay in pole position because it's been great for ABC. It's been great for ESPN. And now with the RSNs imploding, you're going to have a lot more volume if you want it. Now, whether that goes to Amazon or ESPN picks it up for another platform like Plus, you know, remains to be seen. Three last ones for you. The upcoming college football playoff negotiation playoff rights. If it, as you know, having uh, um, been uh, you know at the top of the pie chart for a long time at ESPN, uh, college sports are part of that company's DNA. It's very important for them to have a significant role, especially in college football. Whether they can get the entire college football playoffs monetarily, I don't know. And obviously, Fox has now made its stake in terms of being a major college football player. Broad strokes, Mark. How do you? What do you think of that property, the college football playoffs, and and what would be your thought in terms of interest for that among the media companies? Well, look, now you've got CBS and, and NBC playing in a bigger way than they did before, evidenced by the Big Ten deal, uh, you know, at the top of the food chain. So you're going to have a lot of mouths interested in it. But you're, the top of your question is is where it sits. I mean, it's 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 going to be ESPN and Fox driving the conversation. They can, one of them can have it all. They could end up splitting it. There could end up being some kernels if they allow it for CBS uh, and NBC. But if I'm, you know, sitting in the, uh, you know, ESPN and Disney chair, you know, there, there are fewer bigger priorities than college football. Look at what it's done for them, you know, and college football gets overlooked too much for ESPN. And I know it's obviously very popular and, and, and people realize how much they carry, but, even back you know, when I was there, so many of the other major four sports were talked about and college football is left to the side. Bowls that don't even matter, that you can't, you don't even, you never even heard of the advertiser that's got a title sponsor on there, still rate. College football rates across the board and it drives every platform they have. But in order to be the, the major dominant player in that space, you have to have the marquee games. And those marquee games drive a lot of business for ESPN, secondary, tertiary, other partners. They improve the streets in the neighborhood. And I think that they'll be incredibly aggressive. And if I'm running college football, that's where I want to be because, and Fox is terrific. Don't get me wrong. And they, they carry a lot of uh, games as well. But ESPN's talking about college football all the time. You know, it's on all their channels. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the college football season watching the SEC channel. It's it's terrific. It's the obviously the most dominant conference, and their games are the most watched games week in and week out. And you're getting served as much as you want by watching the ESPN family of networks. So I think they're going to be aggressive there, and they're going to try to keep that ecosystem. They let the Big Ten go away, and that was a strategic decision. 
I believe part of that decision was so that they could be armed and ready to make sure even the expanded playoff doesn't get away from them. Final two. Um, you were at ESPN. and When you were at ESPN, I should say, you had to deal with the NFL. And you had to figure out how to make that relationship work. Those of us who've covered ESPN for a long time know that um, many times that relationship has been frayed. And it certainly was not a great relationship when John Skipper was the head of ESPN. Uh, there's an argument that Jimmy Pitaro's main charge, honestly, when he took over uh, the chair job, was to basically recalibrate the relationship with the NFL. He's absolutely done that. I just think you have a very unique perspective because you were there when, you know, things weren't exactly like uh, cotton candy and sunshine. And now today you look at the Monday Night Football schedule. It's incredible. ESPN's never had this kind of schedule. So um, it must be in some ways interesting and amusing to you because it has come first. It has come full circle with them for the NFL. It has. And, you know, you gave you gave credit where it's due. And that's Jimmy Pitaro. You know, he, he walked in there. He definitely had a charge. Now, remember, I was there when we were doing Playmakers. <laughs> yeah. Which oh, wasn't yeah. well received know. by the owners. Yet we had an amazing relationship with Roger. We had a great relationship with Paul Tagliabue, right? Ultimately, Bornstein went over to the NFL. So you don't have to always give them exactly what they want. They're not even calling those shots half the time. But you have to manage the relationship. You have to manage communication. You, you can't have surprises. You have to treat them as a partner. Jimmy owned that from the day he walked in the door. We have to better communicate with them. We have to make sure we're in sync on agenda. We can't be surprising them. We have to be aligned on priorities. This is our most important and valuable property. And arguably, they're the most important platform for the NFL. And he, he worked hard to get synced up. And to, to the commissioner's credit, he, he did a restart on the relationship. He, he gave Jimmy every opportunity to prove it was going to be a new era of transparency. And it's been that. And Burke Magnus, who was running programming, is now running production. He's been a valuable partner in that. I know Roz Durant, who's taking over programming. She's been tremendous with the NBA. So she'll be a valuable partner in that equation. And, and that's why they're sitting in a good place. And by the way, it doesn't hurt that you finally went out. You had to spend a lot of money. But you finally went out and got yourself a real A-team. Soup to nuts. Soup to nuts. Sometimes the ESPN had an A play-by-play, but the color commentator wasn't at the level it should have been at, or vice versa. They now have that. They spent a fortune to get Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but they're among the best in the business, and that matters to the owners, and that matters to the league, and it should. I want my best games on the best platforms covered by the best announcing teams. Period. End of story. And ESPN recognized that. They made the move. They spent the money. They made the investments. And, and it's paid off. And frankly, I think Joe and Troy have been great about staying on the air when the game's over to be a part of Sports Center. It's not like they just come and do the game and get out of the way. They've bought into the ESPN ecosystem. Last one, Mark. And I appreciate you being generous with your time. Of course. I, uh, I just covered... Um... The WN first the WNBA's first game in Canada, which was a sellout, uh, n- n- close to twenty thousand. Um, I've never seen a sporting event with more girls under the age of eighteen. Merchandise sold out at that place ninety eight percent. It could not have been a bigger hit. What it's an indicator. It's yet another indicator of the um, absolute momentum that women's sports has right now in the United States. You saw. 
Um, and you're well aware that ESPN got 9.9 million viewers for the women's title game. I mean, you know, you were at ESPN when they were not, they were drawing well, they weren't drawing that. And so I wonder again, being an Endeavor, uh, your company hits all of this stuff. If I was making a bet, but I've been saying this for a long time, I would be betting big on women's sports because it feels like we are uh, heading to a place where there is massive money to be made. As someone who's really one of the players in the business, how do you see that? Don't edit any of this answer because I've got a lot to say. We can do an entire podcast on just this topic. I, I mean that. Well, well, I'll invite you back for it. Then. I, I am so bullish on women's sports. I am so excited about women's sports. And full disclosure, yes, I know that that basketball game did 9.9 million viewers. And I am the biggest champion and hero for Caitlin Clark that you could ever imagine. You know, I saw this coming two years ago when we first were able to sign her, meaning University of Iowa, and she, she's over-delivered on expectations. She's unbelievable. When she gets to the WNBA on top of Aaliyah Boston, full disclosure, we represent her as well. Kathy is going to have, with Sabrina Ionescu, who, of course, we represent as well, like Kathy's going to have an unbelievable, with Brianna on top of that, who we don't represent, she's got an incredible just influx of stars that are going to take the WNBA to new heights. And she's a very energetic, innovative, personable commissioner that really ha has an infectious personality and is going to be able to sway new business partners to help her grow the sport. I think women's sports is an amazing place. Karen Brodkin and Hillary Mandel, who run uh, here in the U.S., IMG Media and WME Sports, they are negotiating. They are the agent on the new NCAA championships renewal. And of course, the women's final four is a part of that. And I'm just telling anybody out there listening, expect to pay big bucks. The, the women's tournament alone requires big bucks. It has, it's going to have big viewership. It's going to grow considerably. Softball is moving fast. Volleyball is moving fast. I mean, there's some incredible properties under the NCAA hood, which have been buried historically and now are going to become front and center. So I'm excited about it. We've got Zach Miller, who runs the WNBA uh, recruiting and, and agent pool for WME Sports. He's really passionate about the space. I mean, we're, we're coming hot and heavy here. It's, it's, it's an exciting time to be a part of women's sports. And to your point earlier, when I was running ESPN, two teams brought in ratings, UConn and Tennessee. That's it. And candidly, they had to play each other <laughs> to get a rating. They, they didn't play somebody else. It was UConn and Tennessee one game a year, Pat Summon and Geno that rated, and otherwise, Yes, you get a bump in the tournament, but regular season, nothing. Now you're seeing it across the board. I will bring you back, Mark, in a couple months if you want, and we'll just do a podcast on that because I'm fascinated by that topic too. And I have a lot more to say if you can believe it or not. Richard, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. I love The Athletic. I thought that was a great play for the Times. I know it's going to be profitable very, very soon, which means more opportunities for everybody there, and, and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll keep you front center stage. We'll see. If you're a sports fan, you may not even realize it, but your life has been touched by this company in some way. Uh, Mark, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I know it's valuable, and, uh, and I wish you the best of success heading forward. Thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Mark Shapiro for uh, his time and his insight. Head to the archives uh, page if you like these conversations. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. But we had Peter King not too long ago to talk about um, scheduling and how that comes together. 
for the NFL. John Lewis as well analyzing the actual schedule after it came out. He of Sports Media Watch. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah was on this podcast talking about the NFL draft on May 3rd. We had Tim Lane and Dane O'Neill. What is it like to cover horse racing and the Kentucky Derby? Analyst Michael Nathanson was on this podcast April 17th to talk about the future of sports meteorites. Had Ryan Clark of ESPN to discuss uh, how to cover the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, if you're into wrestling, Michael Cole was a recent guest on this podcast, as was Rhea Ripley. Again, there should be um, should be things on the podcast that uh, you will find uh, interesting, and hopefully it remains evergreen. I want to thank Patrick Antonay for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at uh, Cadence 13 and Odyssey for their support, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.